when you're dealing with complexity and when things go wrong, you have to acknowledge that and name it and understand that giving space for people who are silent in that room because often they can have some really good insights into those complex situations. Welcome to the Thriving in Complexity podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne Libertilia, and I'd love for you to join me as I peek behind the scenes of complex situations and workplaces and interview leaders and experts who will challenge your thinking, inform and inspire your leadership so you and your team can thrive in the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world we live in. On today's podcast, I'm speaking with Helen Purapat. Helen has over 12 years experience as a chair and non-executive board director. She's worked across large to small not-for-profit organizations and was recently the chair of the charity Give for Good. Before that, she chaired Relationships Australia Queensland and the National Education and Employment Foundation. Helen has extensive experience as a dispute resolution specialist having worked in that role for over 25 years. She has expertise in deploying early intervention strategies for dealing with conflict emerging in workplaces right through to conflict crisis management. She provides adaptive processes that work for individual situations and also provides advice and assistance to HR practitioners, managers and staff dealing with these difficult and sensitive interactions. Helen works across government, the not-for-profit and business sectors, providing strategic advice on workplace conflicts, performance issues, engagement practices, and service improvements. She previously worked for 11 years within a Queensland government-owned electricity corporation that provided services to regional, rural, and remote consumers. As part of her role as senior leader for Ergon Energy, she was responsible for developing and operationalising policy and programs such as financial hardship, disaster recovery, community advocacy, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander engagement. She also managed a statewide dispute resolution service for the Residential Tenancies Authority and has been a CEO and Director of Community-Led Services for Frail, Aged and Disabled Clients for the Balmoral Uniting Community Centre. Some of the organisations where she's completed workplace mediations and engagement reviews include the Department of Premier and Cabinet, Children's Health Services, the Department of Transport and Main Roads, the Department of Natural Resources and Mines, the Bishop Tyrrell Anglican College, Road Tech, and a National Medical College specialising in rural and remote medicine. Not only does Helen have a lot of wisdom to share from her experiences working with many different complex organisations, as a mediator, she knows firsthand just how complex it can be working with people. Helen, so lovely to have you on the show today. Um, really interested in the conversation that we're about to have. But I wonder if you could start with sharing with listeners something that people may not know about you. A few years ago, I was really interested in doing learning more about cooking yep. and exploring cooking and techniques and building on the knowledge that I already had. So I actually was given the opportunity to do a commercial cookery course. Ah. And 
I had one-on-one tuition with a one of Brisbane's leading chefs and it was great fun. Yeah. And also at the end of that I had a certification in commercial cooking and since then I've done other things as well in terms of, you know, branched out into bread making, sourdough making, those sorts of things. So, yeah. Oh, wow. So during COVID you were one of those people who was buying up all the flour at the supermarket and doing all your experiments. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I have a 25 kilogram <laughs> baking flour tub. <laughs> so it's not from the supermarket. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you would have been going to the bulk food store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. And I wonder if all of the boards that you're on got to experience lots of nice treats at meetings or I suppose it might be a bit hard during COVID because everything was probably pretty virtual. It was virtual and there's always a challenge in virtual because, you know, you're not picking up those cues, you know, when you're dealing with somebody across the room. Yes. But, yeah, so didn't have the opportunity to do any any of the other exploration of cooking and other things so yeah but you know that's kind of not not really what you're doing in a board meeting so. no <laughs> so and so it's good fun Helen yeah you're a very experienced board chair and you've had a long history with Relationships Australia in Queensland and that's a very interesting organization because it's got a very long history of supporting individuals communities and really focusing on how you can help them achieve some more positive outcomes. However, we're talking about people. Yes. And I'm really interested in your experiences, really trying to govern an organisation that's dealing with human relationships and what are some of the challenges that actually come with that? There are quite a few challenges, as you would gather. Yeah. I'll go through a number. One is the timing of working through the complexity of relationships can take time and effort and ability to really listen to what has been occurring and where patterns of behaviour have emerged. So timing is important when dealing with issues with relationships, whether or not you're building relationships or you're rebuilding, resetting, reforming relationships. So, you know, that's important where you've got complexity of needs for a client, for instance, or you've got complexity in a relationship with a board director or, you know, many board directors that have got very different interests and, and knowledge and experience. Yeah. The other one is responsive. You need to be responsive to individuals when within the confines of their role within an organization. So it's important to look at what's reasonable and practical when addressing complex relationships and what the organisation has a responsibility for. Not everything is the responsibility of the organisation. And it's really important to look at at the organisation's capacity to address those complex needs and those relationships. The other one is establishing and building trust and credibility. Really important when you're dealing with complex relationships if you haven't built relationship, yeah. you can't influence or guide focus of those individuals. Yeah. So 
as a chair, if I haven't built those relationships and that credibility, why would they trust me? Why would they engage and offer information? So that's important. Yeah. And the other one is acknowledgement. People's experience need to be acknowledged. So when you're dealing with complexity and when things go wrong, you have to acknowledge that and name it and understand that giving space for people who are silent in that room because often they can have some really good insights into those complex situations. The other one is intervention, you know, interventions that are appropriate, that are timely, that are given a complex situation or a complex relationship. So often the response that I've seen both in my work as mediation specialist but also as a board director and chair is that often the response is not commiserate with the situation. Yeah. So people just don't think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be requesting that or taking that action because it's just not, it's overblown or underblown. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I really think is important, you need to follow through with your actions, with your responses, make sure that people have an opportunity not just to put their voice forward, but also to reform and work on new patterns, new work practices, new board practices. Mm. So that's really important when you're looking at trying to set up a new paradigm in a board yeah. or in any given workplace relationship. Yeah. Well, there's a lot there, isn't there? It, it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going yes. back and sort of unpacking a couple of those things if we could. So one of them you talked about, how do you actually help people who are not in the room or who are silent actually have voice in some of the things that the board is considering? What are some of the ways that or things that you've done to actually ensure that those voices are considered? One of the things is obviously you could have, oh, I've been in forums where Say, for instance, in Relationships Australia, they have a fairly large set of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander councillors. And every few months or, you know, quite often there would be a forum where you could go and sit and yarn and do the yarning kind of process and make sure that people are given the voice. And it's important that with hearing those voices, you're actually not talking. Yeah. <laughs> you're listening yeah. and you're taking on board what they've said, but you're acknowledging that as well. Mm -hmm. So really important that you're seen in the organisation as well, yeah. not just in those forums, but actually being, you know, I've often gone into the organisation and done a day in the life of somebody. Mm -hmm worked off the phones, double jacking, making sure that you actually know the organisation and there's opportunities with senior managers and managers across the organisation to actually hear from them what's happening. Yeah. So that's really important to see what is actually going to work in terms of having those silent voices heard. Yeah. Some organisations that's not possible and other ways of doing that is, you know, providing surveys, all sorts of other things that can help. Yeah. 
And when you do that, that must present another whole host of challenges as well, because people see you in the organization, they're getting to connect with you on a very personal basis. How do you maintain that boundary between yourself as chair of a governance board and the chief executive who's making operational decisions? Because I'm sure lots of people probably come up to you and think, oh, I've got time with Helen. I'm going to try and influence her to do this. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Any little tricks or tips for how to manage those situations? Well, sometimes you deflect the answer to the CEO and say, look, I think we need to have a further discussion with the CEO or with the person that you you have the problem with or a particular issue or an opportunity that you want to put forward. Mm-hmm. It's really important that you're not undermining the CEO and the senior executive and the manager's you know, managing those programs and those people. So, you know, you're often acknowledging, okay, yes, that sounds like a great idea. Let's, I might talk to, you know, so-and-so about this and, and get back to you or, you know, do a circular loop with you in terms of, okay, give you feedback about what's happened. Yeah. I had many opportunities for somebody to say, well, I'm, I'm not really happy about this. So, well, you know, there's always a chance of giving written feedback, but some people don't like that. Yeah. So providing that information and regularly I I used to sit down with the CEO and say, okay, this is the information de-identified, of course. Yeah. This is the information from the organisation and from the board. Yeah. You know, what's happening for you, what you're not hearing. Yes, yes. So... From that, it sounds like it's really important that you have a few little lines on hand that you can use to deflect. Yes. And that you're very careful about not getting railroaded into giving commitments or anything like that until you've actually had that conversation with the chief executive. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And often some of those forums, there would be the CEO. So I'd deflect to, you know, the CEO and say, so would you provide a response to that? What do you think about that particular idea? So giving him the chance to offer the opportunity for a solution or, you know, the next step. Yeah. Now, you mentioned trust, Helen, and you're a very experienced mediator. So I'm sure as an experienced mediator, you've learned a lot about how to actually establish trust and what breaks trust very easily. In your role as a board chair, any sort of insights you can share about what's worked particularly well in terms of trying to develop and maintain trust within an organisation? I think that's giving time and effort to the relationship. First and foremost, if you can build a relationship, but you have to maintain that. Mm -hmm. So it's important to regularly catch up with board directors, senior executives, CEO, and make sure that you're attuned to what's happening in the organisation. Mm-hmm. But it's also being attuned to what's happening for them. Yeah. As individual board directors, they've got lives outside of the boardroom. So having an opportunity to, I mean, you're not addressing those issues, but you're acknowledging that and you're working through, okay, do you need time? You know, what's the what's the situation like? You know, what kind of support would you need? What kind of professional development do you want? You know, so having that constant 
you know, that regular contact with people is really important. Yeah, yeah. So being attuned to what's going on for people more broadly, not just what's appearing in in front of you, picking up little signals about there might be something going on here I need to be more mindful of. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And everybody, I mean, you were saying, you know, people are human, you know, so they've got lives outside of the boardroom. They have aspirations that they haven't met or would like to pursue. So, you know, if there's an opportunity to assist with that, then do so. And I think one of the challenges often too is we, the legislation says one thing about how boards should operate Mm. in terms of their fiduciary responsibilities to the organisation, but it's often very difficult because we are talking about humans and they bring with them a lot of baggage every time they come into the boardroom Mm. and they'll have affiliations with a range of other organisations or they will have had experiences elsewhere that colour how they interact in that board. How do you manage some of those challenges as the chair when you start to see that playing out? What helps with that situation is actually having a in-camera session mm-hmm. where people have an opportunity to say how they feel, what's the issues, how did we go with this particular board meeting, have a reflection of our practice. Yeah. So regularly checking in with people as well right up front at the board meeting, how's your day been? How's your week been? You know, ready for the board, you know, because you've got to refocus your yeah. mind, heart and and really, really connect with the organisation in terms of this is where I'm at, this is in the moment. Yeah. And some people, you know, have got lots on. So, but that's important to really reflect on your practice on a regular basis so you know at the end of the board meeting I do a reflective piece and say okay how did we go yeah and if there are issues that arise that are conflictual situations within the board meeting then I tend depends on the circumstances if there's sensitivity around that I would take the board director aside and say what's going on you know yeah help me understand what the problem is yeah. And other situations, you would name it in the board meeting. There seems to be a disagreement here, uh, divergent views. Let's explore it. Yeah. So I think people often want to avoid conflict, mm. but conflict can actually be good sometimes, can't it? Because it can actually help deepen people's thinking, but it has to be managed in a very careful way so that you're actually exploring the conflict around the issue, not the interpersonal conflict about the people with different perspectives. Mm. So, yeah, I always find that having worked in industrial relations a very long time ago, you had to very much focus on maintaining a rapport Mm. so that you could continue to work together and that you could continue to raise things with each other, but really recognising that when you were in disagreement, you weren't disagreeing personally you were actually, there was a a point or an issue that you needed to work through together rather than get all personal about it. And it's hard to do sometimes for some people, isn't it? It is. (laughs) And it is important to stop, take a breath. What am I experiencing in my own 
responses. Yeah. Why am I taking this personally? Yes. There's obviously a divergent view that I'm not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with that person's response. So offering, look, look, I'm not really comfortable here. Tell me a bit more about why you think that's the way we should go. Mm-hmm. So exploring it in a uh, respectful way, and what I mean respectful is you're not saying you're wrong. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. <laughs> I'm right. Yeah. But as a chair, you're facilitating that communication because if you're you're giving that opportunity to that particular person, then others will see that that opportunity is open to them as well. So it's open communication, yeah. but it's also, you know, yes, some people won't be happy with that decision. Yeah. But let's talk about how that decision has been reached. Yeah. I always find it interesting language and the impact of language because we often talk about the board had a discussion. And when you actually think about what discussion means, discussion is trying to convince the other person why your perspective is right. Mm. Whereas actually what we probably really want is more generative dialogue. We want the board to be curious, to listen to each other without judgment, and to actually explore the ideas and feelings that are associated with the issues that are under consideration Mm. and really have a very genuine dialogue rather than a discussion. But it takes a lot of conscious effort to do that, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, that whole issue of being in the flow, being in the moment, making sure that you know where you are at at any one time, but that takes effort and a sense of, okay, mindfulness, where am I? Who am I talking to? What's in the best interest of the organisation? Maybe that's not. (laughs) Maybe my view is not. (laughs) Yeah. So recognising that you are one of many, you're not the whole organisation. The whole issue of that command and control doesn't work in a situation. Well, for some people it does, but certainly in my experience with the organisations I've worked in as a chair is that you need all of those voices and you need an opportunity to present and really work through the complexity of those issues and all of those views come together. I mean, there's, there's a reason why you've got so many different people on a board that have different skills, experience and knowledge. Yeah, because you want to tap into all of those different perspectives. That's right. Okay. Yes. It's interesting when you do the board reflection, you could see how that could work extremely well where there's a high level of psychological safety Mm. within the board where people are prepared to take the risk and speak up and say, actually, I didn't think we did this as well as we could have Mm. versus a group that is just nodding their heads, oh, yes, it was all okay (laughs) when it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't, yes, yes. (laughs) So, Helen, more recently you've been the chair of Give for Good. Yes. So Give for Good is Domino's registered charity. So apart from selling pizzas, they also give back to the community. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what Give for Good does? Yeah, Give for Good is a philanthropic charity that provides financial aid to not-for-profit organisations and specific organisations that are dealing with those practical 
building, you know, youth and education, building resilience in disaster situations across the country, supporting emerging leaders and working with rural communities. So building thriving rural communities. So a lot of those organisations that we support, some of those are Lifeline, Smith Family, Rural Aid, Laze, Pinnacle Foundation, PCYC, Australian Indigenous Learning Centre. So they're just a number of them. When I started with Give for Good, I actually was involved in doing a volunteer day for Rural Aid. So that was really worthwhile to actually understand what Rural Aid was doing. And so we went out to a farm to, to clear noxious weeds. So all of the Give for Good team and parts of Domino's Enterprises came along and with rural aid and we we took out Lantana from their property. So <laughs> it was a really good day, very hot, but it was really worthwhile to see that practical assistance given. It was, you know, yeah, yeah. words were put into action. And that's really what Gift Goods about is that we want to support people in community and in families and, and individuals who need that helping hand. Recently, I was had the privilege of going to Pinnacle Foundation's forums and they provide educational scholarships to mm-hmm. people in the LGBTIQ plus community between the ages of 18 and 27. And I was able to meet the new recipients of those scholarships and also the mentors because they'd have a mentor program attached to that to give guidance and assistance. So it's not just a set and forget. They really actually do a lot of work with the recipients about, so how are you managing those difficult and sensitive complex situations that that arise when you're dealing with your studies and your workplace. Yeah, so it was a great opportunity yep. to see in action what Pinnacle was doing as well. So, yeah. It sounds like that Give for Good is actually investing in complex social issues and social challenges, and some of those are challenges that are exacerbated by the environment that we live in yes. as well. That's right. So yeah. when you're looking at that from a board perspective, are there any pitfalls that you really need to sort of think about because there's a lot of everyone, well, you'd be an unusual person if you didn't want to do good. And so we can sometimes get caught up in that desire Hmm. to do good and forget about a range of other issues because I would imagine risk is a significant issue for boards when you're working in that type of space as well. Yeah, and the pitfalls there are about making sure that we're providing appropriate levels of financial support that you know that there has yeah. there is an impact to community so that there is some sort of reciprocity in terms of okay we know that that money is going to these particular scholarships these particular people that need assistance so it's really important that you're able to really have that ongoing relationship with the partner about, so what's the impact? Mm -hmm. Are we doing what we said we would do in terms of our give for goods purpose? So making sure that we're actually doing the right thing by dominoes, but also the people that are 
you know, the consumers that are donating money to the organisation, it's important that they see that we're actually doing something practical with the money that they're providing to us. So you're actually really conscious of measuring that impact and then making sure it's aligned with purpose. Yeah. Yes. And I know as a former public servant, that was a very big issue when we were looking at Yes. <laughs> how do you actually invest public money? You know, how do we know it's going to work? Is it having the intended outcome? And is it sort of meet the community's expectations? around what we should be doing. So I think they're very common challenges that we have across both government and not-for-profit yes. when we're working in that space these days. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the challenges of not-for-profit organisations is about that measurement of success. What is measurement? Yeah. What is the measure of success for the organisation? How do we measure it? How we meet the needs of that of the individual consumer, you know, clients that we're dealing with, but also the funding that we're getting is actually, you know, clearly being provided and used in the appropriate way. Yeah. And a lot of organisations struggle with, you know, quantity versus quality. Yeah. You know, you could measure how many number of clients that you see. Yes, yes. But what does that impact look like? And even thinking back to what we were talking about earlier about time, it's often not possible to get a good impact if you haven't built that relationship first. Yes. But then it's not just about the relationship. Absolutely. But it's actually a relationship with a particular purpose and that you're trying to achieve a particular outcome through that relationship. Yes. Keeping those two in focus at all times because it's easy to get caught up in one or the other, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's easier to measure quantitative numbers, you know, how many percentage of people we've seen in X amount of months or years, you know, so. But, and that's valid. I'm not saying that that's not valid. There's the other side of that is in terms of, you know, how do we report that, those quality outcomes. Yeah. And that's about the narrative. It's about the stories of these people who really need to be told. Yes. So, Helen, I'm curious about what does thriving and complexity mean to you? Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think there's a number of things. One is being adaptive, Mm -hmm. having an attitude of always learning, seeing your mistakes as a learning platform having people along with the journey as well so you've actually got a good sounding board so in those complex situations you can actually deconstruct that talk about what you did what you didn't do well have a reflective practice so making sure that you actually think in terms of how would I have done that differently and I think one of the things about that is being in the moment, being clearly there, present at all times when you're dealing with complex situations, whether or not it's a complex relationship or it's a complex decision you have to make. Mm-hmm. So some people call it being in the flow. Yeah. But it's about making sure that you are conscious of how you're making decisions and how you're responding to those given situations. It's just not, you know, if you're not informed then 
get information that you need to support that decision. And the other thing is, is that I've learned over the years not take responsibility for other people's actions and responses. At the end of the day, don't take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. People have different motivations and different ways of dealing with situations and, you know, it's nothing personal. Yeah, yeah. And you can only control what you can control. And when you're in complexity, there's so much that you can't. Yes. That the only thing you can really manage is your yourself in the first instance. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I like what you were talking about when you're in that flow because as you were describing that, it was making me think, okay, that that's actually around you're probing to understand a whole range of different issues. As you're in flow, you're really trying to sense mm. what's happening here. What if I move this way? What if I move that way? And then you're actually responding mm. and you're continually adapting the way that you respond based on those signals that just keep coming at you. So just for me, it was a really nice example of how you do need to work in complexity yeah I also think that people often assume that keeping to their view is important and you know and not actually thinking that maybe I need to pivot maybe I need to change my view maybe I need to hear from such and such about how they see that situation yeah and it's not a sign of weakness it's about thinking that you you have an ability to hear from others and to be influenced by others yeah I'm not saying not have your voice because that's really important to put forward your voice but it is also about making sure that everybody has contributed to that often in a board setting if I've got a particular issue that I'm dealing with that we all are dealing with, I'll set up a nominal process mm-hmm. where everybody has the opportunity to put forward their view. I'll go back to somebody who has said, no, I'm not really sure about this. Well, I'll come back to you later. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's no ability to then hide from that decision or that collective view because it's important that everybody gets a chance to say, no, I believe this is the way to go or this particular issue needs to be further explored. Yeah. So part of learning, which we were talking about before, is recognising that it's not just about you learning individually, it's how do you learn as a group. Yes. And an important part of learning as a group is actually surfacing multiple different perspectives and really thinking about those much more deeply, being curious and exploring them and seeing where you land then as a group and reflecting back on how I might have changed my thinking or changed my position based on what I just learned. Mm. Yeah. So, Helen, you're a mediation specialist. You must have been called into some fairly, help out with some fairly interesting situations. Can you give us a feel for some of what those might have been? Over a number of years now, I've worked in that you know, where relationships are broken down between colleagues or between a colleague and a manager or between teams, across teams. And some of those are about the communication style, the management style has been misconstrued. They've had assumptions made about each other about what they've done or not done. Yeah. So, and over time, 
often people will, okay, walk away from that and I don't want to talk to you again, so therefore, you know, keep your distance. But in doing so, there's a vacuum of space where people actually then make up their assumptions in that vacuum. Yeah. So when they see somebody make a comment or the other person make a comment or they've rolled their eyes or they've done something, you know, a nominal, you know, process that's happened, then people think, oh, well, they're having a go. Yes. <laughs> so there's a lot of that communication that people aren't checking their assumptions. They're not checking in. They're not They're not making the effort to go and, and speak to that person and say, well, I heard such and such, you know, help me understand what's happened. There's other situations that I've been in where there's a number of performance issues that have arose as a result of there's unsaid rules about how people are managed, how people are are performance, you know, their appraisal of their performance. Sometimes there's standard of work, not very clear. So the baseline isn't even there. So there's no real sense of check, you know, expectations that have been set. So it can be a structure of a team as well. A few examples come to mind where there were two teams that were imploding, but also there was a conflict between them and had been going on for quite a while. And I did a a review of that, of the structure and had one-on-one discussions with each of the team members. And what came to light was that each one of these processes, they relied on each other for those processes, but in actual fact they were competing with those processes. Mm -hmm. So the handoffs weren't clear. They were competing one with another. There was no clear team expectations or KPIs set even though they were interdependent. Yeah. So it became clear that, well, you're not setting these teams up for success. You're setting them up to be conflictual. So that sort of thing can arise on a regular basis. So how would you help an organisation that's faced with that problem resolve that? Those sorts of things can be where... I've put in recommendations to look at the team structure, have both teams process re-engineer mm-hmm. their processes. Yeah. So they're jointly coming up with a new paradigm. Yeah. They're jointly coming up with new processes that work. And, oh, I didn't realise you were doing that work. I'm doing that work too. So, <laughs> so having that joint project to actually develop those processes that actually work and in amongst that this particular matter I had some mediation work to do one-on-one with a number of them and some coaching as well yeah so it was clear that there was particular conflicts within the team conflict yeah that needed to be addressed the interpersonal discussions and conversations weren't helpful so it sounds like if you brought it back to some of those really or distill it down to some of the core elements, it was about testing assumptions. It was about helping people develop some self-awareness mm. and then also helping people get into relationship with each other. Yeah. Would they probably be three of the key things or would you add anything else? Yes, and I think 
how management works with individuals Mm -hmm. and making sure that they're not contributing to the conflict and they're not taking sides. So if somebody has made a complaint or concerned about the work, then you're giving voice to that person but you need to give voice to the other. Yes. So you're being fair about how you approach the team members and making sure that you're seen to be giving voice to all rather than just, you know, giving voice to one person over the other. Mm-hmm. That's really important to look at how your, you know, your reflective practice as a manager and how you're working with the team and what you can do to assist that that new paradigm. So we can even connect that back to an earlier part of our conversation where we talked about voice and I suppose as a leader it's not about you are not the voice your role as a leader is actually to enable a range of voices to be heard and to be given due consideration to inform yes what the organization is learning and how the organization chooses to respond hmm. so Helen over all of the many very interesting experiences that you've had, if you had an opportunity to go back and talk to your 25-year-old self, what sort of wisdom would you share back with yourself? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think that create your own path with advice and assistance from others. So you set up, you know, a sounding board for yourself. You set up people in your area and creating the opportunity to thrive and to actually articulate what you're best at and what passion you want to follow. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for me as a 25-year-old, I would have liked somebody to come along and, and coach me and mentor me in terms of where I want to go. Yeah. And the other thing is, is you know, it's going to be a, a difficult path at times. It's going to be, you're going to be anxious, you're going to be fearful Fear the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. So there is that sense of, you know, just do, you know, if that's what your passion is, is that's where you want to go, then find the pathway that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, if you know where you want to head, you don't have to make it all in one great big leap, do you? No. It's actually about going out, getting a feel for where are those opportunities having a go, sensing what's going on, is this the right path or do I try to shift it a little bit and try something else? And I think when we're very young, we expect we're going to get everywhere really quickly and when we look back, we realise how much we zig and zag in our life. Yes. And that sometimes going down a different path can open up a whole new thing that we'd never ever thought of before or could see ourselves doing but really end up enjoying. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had many different career opportunities and changes and for each board director role it's different as well so all of my board experiences each organization is different in terms of how they approach things what their purpose is what the values are does it align with mine yeah so it's really important to to look for those opportunities and take them when they come along And if you need that support, you know, if you need somebody to come along and, okay, give you a helping hand that, you know, coach you into a particular pathway that you want, 
you know, that's really important yeah. to have people that are will actually give you that positive approach. Yeah. Yeah. And that can do approach rather than, oh well maybe I can't. Yeah. 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 Someone who can really help you believe in yourself. Mm. With those times when you actually start to doubt yourself can just help remind you of just all of the things that you have got going for you that you can use to help you get where you want to go. Yes. So Helen, if people would like to connect with you online, how can they go about doing that or how can they find you? Well, you can connect me through LinkedIn. Yeah. Connect with me through my LinkedIn profile or you can directly send an email to me as well. Yeah. Helen.poropat at gmail.com. So, yeah, often I'm trying to get around different network opportunities. So... There's always the chance of meeting me up at different network. I mean, it's been a challenge with COVID, so <laughs> and <laughs> recent times that's opened up a bit more. Yeah. But certainly you can access me through LinkedIn. Well, Helen, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing some of the wisdom and insights from the broad range of experiences that you've had working with some very interesting organisations and quite complex situations. Thank you so much. That's all right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you had something you want to revisit or explore in more detail, you can check out the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you like helping others to open their thinking, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. As always, a big thank you to Leon Fitton and the team at the Podcast Concierge. That's all for this episode. I'll see you next time.